What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. All right, what's going on, everyone? I'm Greg Helbeck with Michael Pinter here, and this is our first uh, podcast interviewing another investor in New York who's extremely successful. So Jeremiah Dalton, thanks so much for coming on the show and being our first guest. Oh, thank you. I wouldn't say extremely successful, but I'm getting by. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a very interesting story, um, you know, how you ultimately quit your your corporate job that you did not like very much to be one of the top house flippers out in uh, Suffolk and Nassau County. So um, if people are not familiar with you, just give the listeners a little bit about your background, who you are, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes. Yeah, sure. So um, I was working as an attorney. Um, I was working for a labor union. Uh, I had some aspirations of kind of moving up the chain there and realized like just the political structure and everything that had sort of been implemented over the last century there um, was going to make that virtually impossible. And um, ultimately, really wasn't a good fit for me. Uh, I'd invested in real estate all the way back to when I was in law school. Uh, my now wife, um, we were uh, partners on our first deal. Um, you know, it's an investment property that we actually still own to this day. And uh, I invested, you know, house here, house there. But it wasn't until about six years ago where I said, all right, I have to do something major with my life. Uh, the biggest thing was I was really stuck in a, in a job that wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't doing things to the potential that I had. And so it was really, really important for me because we were, you know, on the verge of having children that I pursue something so that my kids could see their dad going after what he always wanted to do. I thought that was the most important thing. And also at the same time, being able to have that flexibility, that time to actually be there for them. That was of paramount importance. So having those two elements there, being there for my kids, but then showing them, you know, how to you know live a life that, you know, is on your terms was really the biggest, biggest thing. And I'm fortunate to say that, you know, even though it's a work in progress, I'm doing that now. Yeah. That's awesome. And the, the biggest thing I see with, with new people, and especially if they're like working at a job, which was, that was really not my scenario. So it's hard for me to relate. I was in college, super young. So like I was trying to get out of college to do this, but they're, they're almost so comfortable where they're, maybe they're working a job, they're making a hundred grand, 200 grand a year. So it doesn't hurt that bad. You know, like they're still making money. They're living in a nice house. And I, I, I think it's, it's, it can be harder for them sometimes to, to make that leap because what they have might not be terrible, but they know that they could always get something better. So I give you a lot of respect for, for, you know, quitting a successful job to eventually get into this. Cause you knew deep down inside that wasn't like the money really wasn't the thing driving you. It was like, you wanted the freedom, obviously. I wanted the freedom. Um, obviously I wanted to be able to earn more money to, you know, have experiences, you know, with my kids um, that they otherwise wouldn't have. I I'm not somebody that um, build, 
is building his business based on, I want to leave my kids a ton of money. Because quite honestly, you know, if you look at history over the years, like it by the second generation is practically gone. You know what I mean? So it's important for me that I teach some skills, that I set the example, but, you know, there's a good chance that I could, you know, spend all of it before I die, you know, um, just, but again, it's going to be with, I'm going to be spending that money with them. You know what I mean? Um, uh, now I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but my main goal, I see a lot of people talking. I, I want to leave legacy wealth. I want to have, you know, 10 yeah. generations. I, I got news yes. for you. It's yeah. Not really realistic. And I mean, in fact, I live in Centerport and right up the road from me is the Vanderbilt estate. Michael knows about it. I'm sure it's right by the Vanderbilt estate. Um, and if you want to look into like, you know, a family that like spent like crazy, I mean, he, this was a summer resort for him and he donated it to the town of Centerport because his tax implications were too big. There is no, and this was, you know, one of the richest families of all time. I actually looked up recently. I don't think there is a single Vanderbilt descendant now that's a millionaire um the money's all gone you know what i mean now granted they all have like 15 16 kids each um but the money's all gone um and my point is is that money really only lasts for so long that legacy wealth that people talk about i'm not knocking it um but again the biggest impact that i can make is here and now not with the money that i leave behind no, that's smart. So, Michael, I've been hogging the mic here. So I'll let you ask Jeremiah the next sequence of questions on kind of like what his business looks like now out uh, primarily you're in Suffolk, right, Jeremiah? Yeah, yeah. We do do Nassau from time to time, but we we concentrate primarily in Suffolk. So, Greg, you're much better at this interviewing and done much more than I have. So I'm fine with you keeping the lead, but I can ask you, Jeremiah. So I wanted to ask you, Jeremiah, I, on Long Island, how many other direct-to-seller investors do you know about that are really serious? It depends on what you qualify, you know, qualify as serious. You know what I mean? I mean, the guys who consistently spend money on marketing, direct to selling. Maybe six, seven. Yeah. I think five or six also. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So we have like 40 to 30% of the, all the people working on Long Island on this phone call right now. It's pretty, it's pretty (laughs) unbelievable. There's there's almost 3 million people on Long Island. I think that's an amazing thing. And I tell people like, I, I mean, I can name them, right? Billy Alvaro, the Wagners, Jeremiah. I mean, these are the people, I know these are the guys who do, do business. It's, pre, it's an unbelievable thing. Like we, we almost take it for granted how little competition we have. What, if you had to guess, and you don't never really know the answer to this, but if you had to guess on the properties that you make an offer on, what percentage do you think you're the only offer being made? I would say maybe 20% of the time. You know what I mean? Interesting. Um, I feel, uh, I thought- I, it, I thought it was much higher. For me, I think it's much higher, but I, I don't really know the answer. Right? You don't really. Yeah, and I don't either. I know I closed on something yesterday. I know for sure we were the first and only person he went to, um, you know, and that was a byproduct of just being, you know, the situation. I'm closing on something today. Um, and I know that we weren't the only offer. Um, he said that. Um, but, you know, By the we, way, I, I find sometimes they say it and it's just not true. Sometimes they say <laughs> it to get you to get you different. But I don't know what the number is. It's impossible to know because they're not going to always tell you. But I think it's, I, I, for me, I think it's over 50%, maybe even 60 or 70% that I'm the only offer. And I think we take for granted how little, how, how little, how few competitors we have. And I think that's an amazing thing. I, people say how hard it is to do it, operate in New York, but you and I have been operating mostly in New York our whole lives and Greg also. And I think it's an, ama- it's an unbelievable thing that there's so few people in our area. I think it's great. I'm thrilled. 
I know there's yeah. going to be more over time, but I think it's great. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, listen, there's a lot of, of elements into it. Obviously, the fact that it's an attorney state. Um, so we're at the subject of their attorney, you know, at their mercy. Um, that's a big part of it. Um, the smaller competition gets pushed aside when, you know, and you know this, I mean, I've had, you know, houses that, you know, I've had to put $25,000, $30,000 down, you know, you want to get the deal? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to, yeah. so we've had to do it. Um, that pushes out a lot of people very, very, very quickly. Sure. Um, so, you know, the talk, you know, these, in, in other markets, you know, it, it is easier in some respects. Um, yes, you can put, hand the contract in front of somebody, sign it. It's a legally binding uh, agreement. Put 500 earnest money down, if that, $1,000, if that, and that's it. You're done. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. This is a little different. So it does weed out a lot of the people who are just, you know, doing this as a quote unquote side hustle. Um, but of course, you know, it takes some real money to operate here. And, and, and I didn't, you know, I was fortunate because I was working and building my business. Everything I was making on my flips, I was just putting back into marketing. Right. So that by the time I left, you know what I mean? I didn't have, you know, a formidable marketing machine, but enough that, you know, I, I could be taken seriously. Sure. Yeah, that's it's pretty, awesome. Amazing. That combination is an amazing thing where we are. And we, I, you know, if you only operate in New York, you don't even know it, but you don't realize how different New York is than the other 49 states and how a real estate transaction takes place here between a seller's attorney and a buyer's attorney instead of between a buyer and a seller like it does in the other 49 states. So as Greg mentioned, and I didn't ask you yet, but can you give me a, a basic description, an overview of uh, what your business looks like today? So we're basically doing, we'll probably do north of 60 properties this year, um, you know, fix and flip. So, you know, if each property is taking, you know, five to six months between purchase and resale, you know, we're having, you know, little, little uh, between, you know, 25 to 30 at a time. Um, most of our rehabs, they are, you know, done fairly quickly. We've got multiple crews. We've built great relationships with crews. Um, so our rehabs, typically are only taking, you know, four to six weeks, some of the longer ones, maybe eight. Uh, the biggest holdup that we're having, and Michael, you could attest to this, is just now once you get a deal under contract uh, to sell, it's just taking a long time to actually get, oh. to, get to the closing table. And that's, that's it. So it's creating this like big log jam where, you know, people are like, oh, you got all these properties? I'm like, well, yeah, I own all these properties, but, you know, out of, Inventory. you know, yeah, but out of, you know, 25, 30, I'm talking about only six or seven active rehabs going on. You know what I mean? So the rest of them, I'm just waiting for them to sell. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that that's really, I would say, the snapshot of, you know, the business itself. Um, you know, we've grown team-wise. You know, we have a full-time acquisitions person, a full-time lead manager, full-time maintenance guy. Um, you know, just to go around and address all the little, you know, uh, concerns, you know, making sure every property is in good shape and making sure if they see something, they, you know, they take care of it right away. So having that full-time maintenance person is really important. Um, you know, full-time lead manager, going to have to bring in a second person um, just to kind of handle, you know, the volume of leads that we have. We have a full-time acquisition person. And then I just brought on a full-time operations person to kind of handle the, you know, the day-to-day -day operations, uh, you know, whether it be just making sure utilities, insurances are in place, whether it be, you know, coordinating, you know, different vendors, you know, finding out where material is um, and, and, you know, posting job ads. Um, that person started a few weeks ago, but he's doing a great job so far. Now let's, let's focus on the contract a little, because that's obviously the hardest part of this. Oh, so do you have contractors that work for you, for you full-time? Are they, are they separate 1099? And how many crews do you have working at one time? 
anywhere from three to four crews at a time. Uh, you know, we're definitely 90%, you know, I mean, of their work. Um, they might, you know, take a bathroom job here, a kitchen job here. Um, but, uh, and, and certain guys can handle, you know, one job at a time. Some guys can handle three or four. Some guys can handle two. Um, so it's just really, it's, it's knowing the strengths of the different crews uh, and placing them in the correct spots. You know what I mean? There was a house I bought yesterday. I knew undoubtedly the person that, you know, had to have that job. Um, so uh, having the three to four crews, we'll probably have to add another one in a short amount of time. But, you know, we've also been able to, you know, taking down a lot of properties doing, you know, not a crazy amount of work um, and putting them back on the market. So, you know, a lot of that, I would say glorified hotel um, because there is, you know, some, you know, it's more than just, you know, paint and carpet, but not, you know, the full rehabs that, you know, we normally do. Sure, sure, sure. So how do you, how do you, how do you find your, your contractors? How'd you get them? Every one of them has been word of mouth. Every one of them has been a direct referral. Um of the ones we've used over the years, I would say that's been at a 50% success rate. So of the crews that we've had, we've tried, you know, that same amount um, and they didn't last past one job with us. Um, but it's, but it's always, you know, and you know, you'll know. I know how that feels, man. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, uh, and you gotta be careful. I mean, one of the things I tell people when you're hiring a contractor, make sure you pick the right house. If you got a house that, you know, you know, it looks like it wasn't built properly, you know, a little bit of a dicey situation. Don't start him on that house. You know what I mean? Maybe give him something a little bit simpler, um, you know, a little more straightforward, something that's more structurally intact. Um, but, you know, I've made the mistake of, you know, giving full gut rehabs to people that really it was, it was too much for them to handle. And, and to be fair, the house wasn't in great shape. And uh, unfortunately, they didn't last and it got ugly. It can get ugly. I made those same mistakes for sure. Same. I've, I've had, I found with rehabbing, like, I think I learned this from Michael, but I I remember he said it after I've experienced it. It's like, you got good, cheap and fast. You got to pick two out of three. You got to pick two out of three. And and like, I don't mind now paying a little bit of a, a little bit of a reasonable premium. Like I just did a four unit property and it was a mess and like the the thing doubled and whatever, but he was good and he was fast. I paid him a little bit more but I knew that going in and I have, I have friends who rehab in my area, which is not too far from your area. And they're like getting these guys so cheap, but they're just getting killed with the timeline. And I'm like, dude, like your time is worth more than babysitting a guy who's saving you $2,500. Like you you don't even have a tenant in that property yet. And you're still trying to go with a cheap route. Like it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. Now, listen, I mean, that comes back to, you know, if you buy the properties at the right price and you have the right spreads and you can afford to hire the right person, do the job the right way, list it for the right price where it's going to have multiple offers. And then those multiple offers, you can pick the best offer um, with the best terms. I mean, it's all kind of when you trace it all back, it's it all goes back to buying at the right price, which is why I and Michael the same way, like, REOs, auctions, you had to walk away from that because there was no, there was no way to make money. You could still make money doing that. um, If you're a guy that's going to do, you know, one or two a year, and maybe you're a contractor yourself, there is some opportunity there, but for purposes of scalability of a business, you just were never going to be able to buy at the right prices. Yeah. Yeah, Took Took me four years to realize that for the first four years I was in business, I was only buying at auction and online auctions and then I finally spoke to someone who said, like, you're never going to be able to buy it at a deep enough discount if you want to wholesale. 
Yeah. And you're not going to buy a deep enough discount. Even if you want to rehab it, you should get it at a deep discount. You got to go direct to seller. So yeah, that was five years ago. I wish it was nine years ago. <laughs> That's interesting. So Jeremiah, this, the thing I've, I've seen with your business is that you do direct to seller marketing, but at the same time, you're rehabbing all these properties. So my question for you is, have you ever wholesaled before or at least did a little bit? And then like, obviously like you like rehabbing better. So like, what is like your experience with wholesaling? Cause a lot of people in New York, they have a tough time wholesaling because it is a lot different than. Well, yeah. I mean, life. attorneys don't make it easy. Um, you know, in the situations where we have wholesaled, um, we were fortunate that the attorney allowed us to assign it. Um, doesn't happen a lot. Um, you know, Michael, I'm sure we'll can explain that part of, of it a little Wait. bit better. Let me stop you. You once took a deal from me. You didn't do anything wrong, but I had a guy in Huntington, <laughs> South Huntington, crazy seller. And the guy looked like he was homeless. I made him an offer and he accepted it at that. It was a negotiation, but at that offer, I knew I had to rehab it. And for some reason I was just stupid. And I pushed him on being, making it assignable. I don't know why. I guess I figured there was a chance I could wholesale it. And then he sold it to you for the same price. It was okay. my fault. He used some crazy attorney. He found some attorney online for like $400. Oh yeah. yeah, I remember, remember this that guy. One. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, uh, no, no, no. High ranch, high ranch. Yeah, that and, was uh, that was the strip club house. What do you mean? It was what? down the block from a strip club, and oh, I yeah. didn't realize it until after I bought the house. And we had all we had house showing after showing after showing. So what's going on? Everybody loves the house, but they they're concerned about the strip strip club. What do you mean the strip club? The carousel. <laughs> I'm like, that's a strip club. I thought that was a bar. You know what I mean? So, that was it. Yeah, um, yeah. So that I mean that was just a mistake I made because I pushed for something that I didn't really need. And he ended up selling it to you for the exact, exact same price. And yeah. uh, so for me, I'm, I'm trying to push that on most situations because I want the ability to wholesale it if I can wholesale it. But if I was only, re if I was rehabbing, I would never get into it. Uh, like, you know, if I was rehabbing vast majority, I would never get into it and make it a big deal. But for you, if you're taking everything down and rehabbing them, then um, I think it gets a little easier because a lot of the attorneys don't like to make things assignable. No, they don't. Um, you know, I do know that people will go go under contract and they won't allow it to the attorney on the other side will say you can't assign it. But once everything's clear and you're ready to go, then you can say, hey, you know, we're actually going to assign this deal. And more than not, everyone just wants the deal to go forward. Yeah. Um, and so they, they usually the attorneys don't don't balk at that. Um, but we haven't encountered that situation that often. So I wouldn't be an authority on it. Quite what truthfully. what 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 situation would uh, you be more inclined to host, to assign a deal instead of closing on? Like what would? What uh, would... Ge geography really more than mm. anything. That that that's really what it is. You know what I mean? I and I, I'll 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 um in an attempt to make my contractors' lives easier. If you know if I buy, I put them in clusters. You know what I mean? So right now I'm doing a lot. You know, on like the southwestern end of Suffolk. Um, so I've got a cluster guy and he's doing like that cluster. And I got a guy on the Southeastern end, he's doing that cluster. And, you know, so I try to cluster it, but if I notice that there's, you know, something way off, you know what I mean? Um, and I just say like, you know what, we got too much coming down the line, too many big projects. And this is just something that's going to kind of, it, it's really going to just be the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know what I mean? So to speak, maybe not completely, but just make everyone's lives crazy. I say, all right, you know what? This is what we're going to assign, you know? Totally.
how do how do you work with contractors and materials? Do they usually uh, is that included in their price? Do you have to? They buy do. Them? I used to do the time and material thing, and what I found was that the contractors became less um, focused. You know what I mean? Because they already had one element of the job they didn't have to think about cost wise. When you put more, when you you put the onus on them, like this is your price, cost and materials. You know what I mean? They, uh, you know, they find a way to to make it work. Um, we routinely res uh, inspect the properties, so you know, covering something up is not, you know, what we do. Um, but I just like I like the one fixed price. I just find that when I've done time and materials, you think you're saving all this money. Um, it just becomes more of a job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like at one point, a couple of years ago, before I had people handle this, you know, I would have text to confirm stuff, you know, at Home Depot. <laughs> I'm doing and, that. I'm still doing that now. I know. And, it, and it's a pain. And sometimes oh, I remember one year I was, it was in the fall and I was at out East with my kids doing a fall festival and my, you know, Home Depot calls me because my contractor may needed to make a $25 purchase. You know what I mean? Right. And I was like, Oh, you gotta be kidding. Cause I didn't look down at my phone fast enough to press one. Right. And my <laughs> wife is screaming at me, you know what I mean? And I realized like, okay, that this just can't go on. You know what I mean? So they, so all the, when, when they quote you something, it includes materials, it includes materials. We you still do. have text to confirm, like with our in-house maintenance people, you know what I mean? That go around and check the properties and do the odds and ends. We do that. But, um, you, you know, do. typically they Monday that's early in the morning, so we can handle that. But do they give you, do you give them specs as to what materials you want them to use? Do they know? Like They know. Of? I mean, at this point they know. Um, I mean, I've always joked that I have like, uh, I'm cursed that anything I pick, I really like, it looks good. And then they discontinue it. Um, and then I gotta like start all over again, especially with like flooring and backsplash happens like all the time. Um, but yeah, they, they know what I like, you know what I mean? And we try to every year or two, you know, we, you know, we'll spend a couple thousand, bring a designer in, especially if we're doing like a, a really high end home. Hey, we'll kind of allocate that, you know, money. Um, give us a really nice design scheme, but then we'll use that and implement it like in other houses, you know, just to kind of change it up a bit. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And I, I've experienced that where once again, going with the cheap route, like you pay them by the hour or whatever. And then you're just, you're like, I don't, I've probably been to Home Depot to buy materials like five times ever because mm -hmm. like, I'm just like this, I'd rather just pay that premium or have it be in the budget. So I don't have to worry about it. So Another question for you, Jeremiah, is, is Michael loves this niche. I like this niche too. I'm sure you've encountered this. I want to see what your experience is, at least with COVID being on, hopefully on the tail end now. I buy properties with tenants inside that are nasty and I have, I'll keep them as rentals, right? Sometimes in Long Island, that's hard sure. because of the taxes. So what, what do you like, do you do that type of thing or how do you handle? Cause I, I mean, I've made so many stupid mistakes. I've learned a lot from my mistakes with dealing with tenants and trying to get people out like so what is your experience with that because that's a real thing going on especially in new york it's a tough state to to deal with nut job tenants it is I, so i once earned the um the moniker the tenant whisperer because i usually had a way of like talking to them and kind of getting them out i still have good relationships with a lot of houses and the tenants of uh, the houses i buy biggest problem that we're having is they don't have anywhere to go like we're able to make a deal and we can, you know, work it out. And I don't nickel and dime, you know, I mean, let's say they want 10 and I'm at eight. All right. You know, what? Ted's going to get it done, you know, fine. They're ready. They want the money, um, you know, because a lot of them are just, you know, they're going to, I mean, I hate to say, they're probably going to go rent for a month and then, you know, keep the rest. <laughs> um, but at the end of it, the biggest problem, uh, they can't find anything right now. So that's been, yeah. and I've noticed 
since like April. You know what I mean? I remember the last house I bought was in Riverhead, had a tenant in it. Um, he got out no problem. I actually feel like I got a discount at seven thousand for that, um, and he got out. And but ever since then, I've had problems. What I've actually started to do is go to those same tenants, especially if they've just had a bad experience with their landlord. What I've come to find is some of these landlords were just so, so bad that eventually the tenant was just like, you know what, forget this. Like, you know what, you won't do this, you won't do this, I'm not paying you. You kind of restart the relationship. One, you could start to get rent, but the other thing you could talk to them about doing is explaining to them that you might have the opportunity to buy this house yourself. You know what I mean? Um, So we're actually exploring that on a number of different houses right now. Um, We're exploring the ability to, um, you know, see if we could sell. Um, I I have to use mortgage people that I know. Um, Yes, unfortunately, there might have to be some kind of seller's concession to kind of get the deal done. But in essence, um, wholetailing it out directly to them has been an option that we've been exploring. I've done it, but it, but usually, but I've never done it on an existing tenant. I find that usually the existing tenants, certainly ones that aren't paying, they use that as an excuse to, to, to drag you along. But, yeah. Um, but I have, I the first house, I think the first house I bought in Elmont was like a three unit, probably an illegal three unit, and um, it was a mess. And we we did we set one of the the biggest unit we we did a rent to own, and she, she ended up buying it. But be but be very wary. Yeah. Yeah. No. Stay, I know. You know, you got to make sure their credit is good. Most of their credit is not good. Well, and like I said, I, I told them I would not go forward unless they, you know, they went through my mortgage person. I actually spoke to him today and he said, oh, you know, these people actually uh, check out. It's not the greatest in the good. world. You know what I mean? Right. And also, too, when you break it down, he said, listen, you know, this is what you're going to pay in your monthly mortgage. You see what's out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there, there is, you know, it's appealing. I haven't succeeded with it yet. It's just an avenue we just started exploring just to see, but, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Okay. Think about that. I have a dog tenant in one of these properties. I got them to pay again, but they're not going anywhere. Like they're paying like nothing. So I'm just thinking about maybe pulling that on them, but you uh, could try it. You know what I mean? Again, you know, I know that in the situation that I was in, I bought three properties so far. I'll only take so many at a time. Um, so yeah. I bought three so far. One had a paying tenant and the other were two were non-paying. But the two non-paying, it was the same landlord. Um, and when you started to get into the nitty gritty of why they didn't pay, this their stories matched up. Um, and so you started to say like, all right, like, yeah, these people have been less than stellar, but there's two sides to every story. And maybe the other guy, the guy on the other end really was the one, you know, the main contributor here. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. So another thing I've found with, you know, watching you from afar is that you're very good at, um, you know, obviously you're rehabbing houses in Long Island, so that's going to be expensive. So you're, you've been very good at being able to raise capital for your real estate deals. And I I see that being one of your assets, you know, I I believe, I don't know if I'm accurate. Do you, do you do private money for everything or are you hard? So everything. So how have you gone about the last, what have you been in business for five or six years now? Yeah. Raising private money. Cause I mean, that that's, if you can do that, I mean, that makes, everything so much easier especially in long island and how do you structure how do you structure with it with a lender sure so the big thing that we you know we started off hard money some hard money and money from you know close family friends you know we were fortunate i was fortunate at the time that there were some close family friends that you know had some money and were able and you know uh, there were two different people that each invested in a house um which obviously helped build my track record um Social media has helped um, quite a bit. 
um, people connect. Um, I have a lot of people that reached out to me. Some of my bigger investors, the people that reached out, they were looking to flip houses themselves. And then, you know, you offer them the opportunity to say, hey, why don't you invest in my deal? See exactly how I do it. Um, and, you, you know, you, if you want to take that knowledge and put it to use, great. Um, or if you want to continue to invest with me, you could do that too. Um, and then they see kind of firsthand what you're doing and they realize like, this is a lot of work and this isn't easy. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what I made in, you know, pure passive income, and I don't have to go out and scout properties. I don't have the same systems that you have, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, to find those properties. I'm just better off doing this, you know what I mean? Yeah. And more often than not, that's happened. A lot of people don't take this avenue a lot, but a lot of sellers, you know, since we're direct buyers for the homes, you know, hey, you're getting a check for, you know, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars here. What are you going to do with that money? You know what I mean? And we have people that are big investors of ours, you know, because, Michael, you know, I mean, a lot of people that we buy from, you know, they're very they're very well off. It's it's not how it's depicted. Um, these people are very smart. They just they want something fast, easy. You know what I mean? And uh, at the end of the day. They've got the wherewithal if they wanted to sell this house with the realtor, they could. Um, but the fact that, you know, they're selling it to us is they got bigger, bigger fish to fry. Um, but that also means that they've got the deep pockets, you know, uh, and we've been able to, in turn, turn those people into private lenders. So there's been that. Um, we also offer incentives where, hey, if you bring us somebody that's a private investor, and let's just say he puts up 400000 for a house, We'll give you a one percent finder's fee. You know what I mean. So people are motivated. Oh, I know somebody who has money. I know if somebody has money. So over the years, um, those different avenues have all you know uh, have allowed us to build a pretty substantial fund. But then it continues to grow more or less on its own now, just by word of mouth. So all those people, whether you know they were brought in by referral or from social media, or they were sellers themselves, they've had such good experiences. They tell their friends, they tell other people, um, and it's like they almost like become like mini funds unto themselves because they've brought on all these other people. And, you know, six of their friends now are in and three yeah. of them are doing one house and the other three are doing the other house with me. Um, and, it, and it's just kind of grown that way. Um, but it's come from, you know, above all, delivering uh, and yeah. doing the right thing. And I have somebody, it's a part time position. I mean, she handles accounts payable, but, you know, that full-time position more or less is dedicated to servicing, you know, our investors, making sure they get statements, they get updates, you know what I mean? And making sure that they're taken care of first and foremost. That's how, awesome. do you, how do you typically structure uh, your private investments? So typically, um, you know, we're able to get the purchase price and rehab covered. Um, we won't uh, exceed 75% of the expected value of the home. Um, and rates are roughly around 12%. Um, if people choose to do more, they have multiple. Sometimes people have millions with us. We can up that rate um, by a point or two. Um, but that's pretty much it. Um, we give them one of the things we do is we do give them a five month minimum. Um, mm. So if yeah, they're smart. If, yeah. So if there's something that we buy, we renovate and we resell and we're in and out in you know, three months or four months, they're still getting five months worth of interest. So even if you're in for four months and, you know, you get five months of interest, you know, you're basically adding 20% to your return. So now all of a sudden, you know, that 12% becomes more like a 15 or 16% return. Yeah. I found that to be, I had one lender one time he was on the fence and then I, I, I talked about the minimum and he, that got him to the finish line. Yeah. All oh, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Cause he's like, yeah. if you have this house for three months, I'm getting like, but that, that was a huge, huge thing for me, at least. Yeah. And it's funny, I actually ran into 
you never know who you know. I was in Florida like three months ago yeah. watching the Lightning game, and I, I'm talking to this guy, and he's like, oh, I, my dad invests money with this guy in Long Island. I'm like, who is the guy? I might know him. And he's like, oh, this guy, Jeremiah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I know Jeremiah. And I sent him a picture of me in the state. He's like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. And it's like, you never know who you know. So Yeah, no, you don't. And effect. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. And that's another perfect example <laughs> of somebody that we met off of social media. Um, and, you know, he's told, you know, everybody because he's yeah. had such a good experience and he loves what it is that we're doing, loves what we're doing. Um, he's told so many people. And that, like I said, that mini fund has grown quite a bit just because of, you know, they're just telling everybody, and listen, don't get me wrong, it, it's, it helps that it's not a risk-free investment, but it's a safe investment, it's secured by an asset, but it's also got, you know, hey, real estate's hot, it's a vogue thing to talk about, fixing and flipping has got, you know, is very sexy, um, so all those things, you know, together, people want to jump in on, um, so people like it, you know what I mean? So it's different, you know, if, you know, versus investing in a company or securities or Bitcoin for that matter, you know, this is something that's, you know, much more tried and true. Um, And because there's an appeal to it and because it's been so commercialized, people want to jump in. hundred percent. Totally. No, that's awesome. So last thing we haven't covered, you know, as part of this interview is, you're doing great volume on Long Island. What are you doing in today's day and age to find properties? Because at the end of the day, you know, everyone can agree that if you're doing volume, you are in the marketing business. You're not in the real estate. No, you don't have um, leads coming in. You're done. Yeah. So it's a little bit. Of, I've never been a big cold calling fan. Not to say it doesn't work. Just cold calling. Just not my thing. Um, yeah. We do a little bit of everything. Web based, direct mail, um, texting. Um, you know, we've advertised on the radio, um, we've advertised in Newsday, they got a terrible picture of me in Newsday where you can barely see my face, but um, phone does ring. Um, so you, we, we try different things. The beauty of it is that, you know, especially in the fix and flip end, because the margins are, are big, doesn't really take much, you know what I mean? Yeah. So even if something is an underperforming marketing channel, if it makes money, I'm still doing it. You know what I mean? Even if it's not my favorite, you know what I mean? But you need multiple components. You know, the days of just being exclusively direct mail or exclusively PPC or, you know, you know, some of these people, you know, especially in the markets where they exclusively wholesale, um, you know, especially like down south, um, you know, Midwest, you know, all these guys will do is text. They'll just text. Yeah, I have and, friends. And, yeah, it's crazy. And uh, yeah, there are guys. There are guys who are only doing texting. I think it's. I think it's crazy to be any any an only one uh, marketing channel, whatever it is. I think it's crazy to be in one. But there are a lot of people that are only doing texting. Yeah. So, um, you know, I started with direct mail. It's still a good performer for us. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, none of it's going to matter if you can't relate to people, if you can't talk to them, if you can't listen to their problem, if you can't, you know, try to find a solution for them. Um, be responsive, be respectful, be professional. Um, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, even the guy today who's selling to us, he had said, you know, I'm selling to you. I had another, you know, he claims, he goes, I had another offer, but at the end of the day, he goes, what I really liked is like, as soon as I called, you guys answered, you sent somebody out right away. You were fast, you know, um, people, I mean, if people want a fast sale, you're going to have to show them fast and efficiency in your systems and your processes, getting to them and talking to them. Um, because if you're slow to respond, if you're slow to move and, you know, these people are, you know, looking for that expedited sale, they're going to look elsewhere. 
Oh yeah. Especially with internet leads. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those things like I, we have a house in Westchester that we're wholesaling <laughs> and like the guy called in on SEO and like, we got back to him like in a second or he, he filled out a form. So like, you know, but speed to lead with especially with internet leads is yeah. it's just there i felt like with i feel like with internet leads i don't do as much as that as direct mail but like when they're reaching out to you they're generally on that tail end of their decision making cycle because they're like engaging you so yeah. if, if you don't engage them back like direct mail like still you have to be quick but the internet stuff like those are hot 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 leads and they could be huge deals you know because these sellers generally come to you with a legitimate problem they know? do um i will say the thing about internet leads though is they are very whimsical so you'll mm. you'll get these people like i'm ready to go i'm ready to go and then you know it's like okay then you like you know you call to confirm the appointment the next day and yeah. you know i changed i changed my mind you know what i mean like, yeah. <laughs> i changed my mind I, you know I, I think i'm just gonna stay thank you though you know <laughs> you're like what Wait, wait a minute. You were the guy that said you want to be out yesterday. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but yeah, there's definitely, definitely patterns based on the lead source. You yeah. know what I mean? There's definitely patterns in behavior. Yeah. It's interesting. I have this one. I did, a, I've been doing a little bit of marketing in New Jersey. This is so stupid. I can't believe I'm telling you guys this. It was me being an idiot. And uh, this guy calls in, by the way, the house is a train wreck. It's in uh, Morris County, New Jersey. So it's like okay. kind of far out there. The guy calls in, my assistant wasn't working. So I took the call and he didn't sound motivated at all, but he, the house was a disaster. There's like animal cages in there. It's just, I haven't seen it, but anyway, so uh, he's, and I'm, I'm looking at the property and I'm like, I can pay this guy $200,000. And he didn't sound like he was going to give it away. And the ARV is like 360, 370. So I'm like, this is a good deal at 200. So I make him an offer. He just wants an offer. I said, if I give you an offer, would you be, he's like, yes, I would, you know. So I give the guy an offer of 200, which is a good deal. And he goes, man, that's interesting. I was, he said he had other investors, which is really BS. He said, I was about to sell you this property for 150 and you just offered me 200. And I said, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. I ended up getting it for 140. Okay. <laughs> so we ended up getting, I'm like, listen, dude. you get the price then. But, but the point of that is that a lot of sellers, and if people are new listening to this, I think their expectations of what a motivated seller is, especially in the Northeast and in like California, these people are just reasonable for the most part. They're yeah. not desperate. They're not rolling over, going into foreclosure. I mean, once in a while that will happen, but they're going to be reasonable. And the biggest thing I've noticed is that they don't want to list their house for some reason. That's yes. the biggest thing. Yeah. They just don't want to list it because that's usually a deal killer in Long Island or in the Hudson Valley. Like they're going to list their house. It's expensive. But the sellers, they always say, I don't want to list my house because insert your reason. And then that's where there's an opportunity to add a lot of value because they, they already see the value in the service that we can provide versus them having to go the traditional route for some reason. I would personally list my house, but it is what it is. And I tell them, I mean, ultimately, if you want to list your house, go ahead and list it. Yeah. Um, but and I say this, I, I had this on a situation on a house that in uh, Greenlawn, I held for over a year um, and it kept going under contract and falling out. It's mm. Nothing wrong with the house. Inspection went fine. Just, I mean, it was in the midst of COVID. One buyer dropped out because she was thought the world was ending and there was a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, but I've told people, I mean, you know, I, there's houses. I mean, I'm in a house right now. I think we finally got clear to close. Um, I'm going to be in it for like eight months. I, I've been done yeah. with the house since February. Yeah. Second buyer, you know what I mean? First one eight couldn't qualify. Eight months isn't know? even that long. I, I had something in Mastic. It took me like 15 months to get through it. I fell out of contract four times. I mean, yeah, I went into the contract more. I made more and more money each time. So that was good. <laughs> 
but because only because I mean the, the market rescued me, but people I and I was in the mortgage business for 17 years. So I tell people, whether you realize it or not, on a retail deal, everybody's gonna have a mortgage contingency, and that's basically a get out of contract free card. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course. On on a hundred occasions in my career, someone called me and said, I changed my mind, just give me a denial. I go, it's real easy to deny somebody for a mortgage, right? A pay stub expires, anything expires, you can just deny them. So uh, people have to understand that. So, I mean, I say to them, if you want to squeeze every dollar out of it, you should list it, right? But there are advantages to selling it to me. And then I tell them, and then I give them those advantages. I yeah, the, the person I bought from yesterday, I mean, it was a dated house, you know what I mean? But certainly financeable, nice area. And he was from the very beginning. I just, I really just don't want to list it. You know, and he was a retired police officer. He downsized to Melville, in a townhouse in Melville. He's like, I just don't want to list. I just don't, they just don't want to be jerked around, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the problem. And I don't know if this happens in other markets, but I could tell you, I mean, I get jerked around like you can't believe by buyers, but that's, yeah that's my business. I, you know what I mean? Like I've, I've developed thick skin, you know, I mean, I have buyers that like, you know, the grass is a little bit long on the day of closing and they're beating me up for a lawn cut for 35 bucks. Well, we just cut it last week. You know what I mean? Like it's getting cut tomorrow. Well, I want the money for that. Like, and so, and yeah. there's certain people who are just like, I don't want to deal with that. I'm not, I'm not at that. I passed that point in my life. Thank yeah. God. Thank God. There's a lot of people who don't want to deal with that. That's why we have a business. Exactly. That's so true. <laughs> Hey, as we wrap the show up, Jeremiah, I saw something you were doing on social media. This is, I, I, I'm assuming you, you have it now or you finished it. Did, did you do a new construction project out in like uh, Sound Beach or something like that? Yeah, we did. So yeah, we bought it. It was just like the, Frank. Uh, it, was, the shell. Uh, it was the shell and we took over the shell um, and it was a foundation framing. That was it. Nothing else. No utilities run to it. Nothing. Um, and so we, we took over um, from that point. It was a house was a blast to do um, one of those ones where, you know, we spent a lot doing it, but um, you know, we got a good price for it. Um, it was a fun project. Um, what know. have you noticed? Like, like obviously you normally just do fix and flip. So you're buying into an existing problem versus almost building a house. Like what have you, what are the differences you've noticed from doing like a, basically a new construction deal compared to your renovations? Normally? Well, I mean, it's, it's easier, certainly. Um, it's definitely I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, it is easier. Um, by the same token, though, it makes you grateful because, you know, the cost to run electric to the house, of course, to run water to the house, of course, to do a septic system, they're yeah. expensive, expensive costs, you know what I mean? So you take those for granted when you buy a house, but you don't realize if I had to do all this, this would really, really add up. Um, so it's too added, you know, if, if you listen, if you could buy land at the right price, new construction is great, you know what I mean? It's fairly, it's easy, it's straightforward. You don't have really many questions, and you know it. It, it was fast. I barely had to go there. The project came out fantastic, um, but you have to understand, like it's not cheap to build new. Yeah, at all. especially especially yeah. now with the material prices, it's yeah. it's crazy. So, yeah. listen, I want to definitely respect your time. You know, you've been very generous and, and very helpful in this interview. So, you had to give some parting words to a, an aspiring or a successful New York real estate entrepreneur. You know, what would you tell them, you know, about your experience so far doing business in New York? Because that's the, the whole like, you know, theme of our show here. So the, the biggest thing um, is I, you have to be prepared to close on the deal yourself. Mm. Uh, I don't mind that's the people. Such good information. I don't yeah. mind people who wholesale. What I do mind is people that give, you know, other people like ourselves a bad name where they mm. tie up a deal um, and then they're trying to get out of it. They that, can't close. Yeah, and you can't close. So you have to be willing to do that. Um, 
but I mean, I think more importantly, and I see this all the time, uh, I say this on a lot of podcasts, and I was like this for a while. There's people that are just professional event goers. They read a million books, they go to all these seminars, they watch all these YouTube videos, and that's great. Professional students. Professional students, you know, and they just never do a deal. And I can tell you that like, you know, 20, 20%, if if that, no, I mean, 10%, 5% of what I know came from books. The rest of it came from experience. It's good to have, it's a nice little base, you know what I mean? But I mean, literally when, you know, building, you know, if you compare it to like building a house, I mean, I wouldn't even call it a foundation, you know, doing all those things. It's even less than that. You got to do a deal. You have to actually yeah. go through the process. And I can tell you, and I actually did it today. It's funny because I was driving through uh, an area and I drove by my first house that I flipped. I hadn't been there in years and I drove by and it, it really kind of hits you. But that first deal I did okay on, didn't make a ton of money. Okay. But I made money and it was like, oh, wow. You know what I mean? Like I can do this. And yeah. I've never looked back since. That's amazing. That is amazing, man. And it's so true to people who haven't done a deal yet. Once you get your first one under your belt, it is, even if you don't make a million dollars in your first deal, it changes your paradigm and your beliefs about how to make money on your own. And it's, exactly, it's a life changing exactly. scenario. I remember if you make nothing, consider it that you've made, you know, a fortune at this point, you know, absolutely. For that one deal. Totally. Well, Jeremiah, I really appreciate you being uh, generous with your time. If people want to follow you or, or check you out, or maybe they got a house in Suffolk County they want to sell, and you and Michael can bid against each other. How, <laughs> exactly. What's the best way for uh, people to get in touch with you? I know you have a book too that, that's really good too called, I think, Get Fucking Pissed, I believe. That's right. The <laughs> and that was, the, that was the driving force behind me leaving my job. Um, I, the best ways, um, I'm on Instagram, Jeremiah J. Dalton on Instagram, my company, Suffolk County House Buyers. We're on Instagram. I'm doing a lot with TikTok. Um, actually, we I just saw started, that. Yeah, we I started, saw that. Yeah, yeah, starting to build some stuff, content there. Um, so you can find me, Jeremiah J. Dalton, there. Find me on Facebook under the same name. Um, or you could just you know, go through Suffolk County House Buyers and message us there. I see those messages too. Awesome. Thanks so much for being for doing this, man. It was a blast. Any, anytime, you, man. Yeah, Thank thanks, you. guys. I appreciate you having me on.